Colton Meads, one of the state FFA vice presidents, and welcome to the North Carolina FFA Association podcast, helping to grow leaders, build communities, and strengthen agriculture. This morning, I'm joined by my teammate, Chloe Hobbs, and we are pumped to be celebrating National FFA Week here in the state of North Carolina. Thanks, Colton. This year, our team has decided to focus ourselves on advocacy and service. This week, National FFA Week specifically, we wanted to show our more than 21,000 North Carolina FFA members that there are ways to serve and advocate even amid the global pandemic and all the lifestyle changes that have accompanied it. Today, not only do we have double the state officers, but we also have two guests joining us from our friends over at John Deere. With that, Mr. Chase and Mr. John, why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners? John, you want to start? Yeah. Um, hello, Chase and Chloe, and hello to all the FFA members listening. Uh, my name is John Arthur. Um, I'm a product line marketing manager for compact utility tractors for John Deere. Um, I'm also uh, have the distinction of an honor of leading our FFA alumni supporters team. It's a corporate chapter, uh, along with Chase, who is uh, the vice president for North Carolina. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, Chase, too. I'm excited to be here today. I'm glad you guys are doing this and appreciate uh, appreciate you inviting John and I on. Um, like John, worked for John Deere uh, in the product line marketing uh, role, which is uh, kind of on the product development side of um, of the business. So, so we get to kind of dream up new ideas and concepts and 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 work to make a tangible product for our customers. Um, you know, John started our North Carolina FFA uh, alumni and supporters chapter, what, John, about five years ago, I guess. And um, and since John has taken over our uh, corporate alumni and supporters um, key office there. And so I've kind of backfilled him as the president's um, vice president position for, for the state of North Carolina. Again, excited to be here. Thank you guys for having us. Well, we are excited to have you both here on the NCFFA Association podcast. To start things off, why don't we begin with the basics? What has the journey looked like that has led you both to John Deere? Yeah, maybe I'll start this one, John, and then kind of kind of punt over to you if that, that's okay. Yeah, so, so I'll say kind of a non-traditional journey for me, right? I mean, I was... Um, uh, I grew up in kind of eastern North Carolina in a uh, predominantly rural and agricultural community. Didn't directly farm myself. My, my dad owned a small business that served a lot of the farm community, but certainly a lot of friends and neighbors and even grandfather uh, farm. So I've been around it most of my life. Um, when I was a um, junior in high school, I kind of got recruited um, into our FFA um, you know, I was active in kind of FBLA and VICA and 4-H and um, wasn't really doing a whole lot with FFA. And we got some new new FFA teachers came in and and recruited me. And, and so that was kind of my first experience into a, a formal FFA kind of experience. Um, uh, participated nothing on a state or national level, never went to national convention or anything. Now, looking back now, I wish I would have taken that opportunity, but, um, regardless, got out of school, um, got out of high school, went to NC State, um, ag education, um, ag engineering by education, 
um, knew I wanted to work in and around agriculture, but, um, you know, applied for some jobs thinking I'd, I'd work for like a Murphy farm or a Prestige farm or, um, something like that and got some offers also got some offers from landscape companies, um, in and around Charlotte and just nothing ever seemed to work out. And, and so my wife and I, and now wife, then girlfriend, we were both kind of in the same role, fresh out of college and looking for jobs. And so she was, we were on monster uh, jobs, which was old school, right? But that and the newspaper were the only place you found out about jobs, you know, 25 years ago. And and so she was thumbing through the News and Observer uh, job employment and, and saw that John Deere had a position posted and applied and about 45 days later was hired. And that's been coming up on 23 years ago now. John, we'll turn it over to you. What about you? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in uh, North Georgia. In fact, uh, just the next town north of me was Murphy, North Carolina. So that gives you an idea maybe from a North Carolina geography where that is. Uh, so I grew up in the mountains and uh, grew up on a poultry farm. My dad was um, an FFA member, and so I always kind of looked at his blue jacket and kind of curious what that was about. And so that led me to, as a eighth grader joining uh, my FFA chapter in Union County, Georgia. And uh, from there, um, it was a really relatively small group. Um, so they very quickly recruited me to be Sentinel because I think we just had enough people to be officers. Um, so um, got started that way and uh, we grew that uh, chapter pretty quickly. Um, and uh, so somewhere around like 1987 or so, um, I was in a parliamentary procedure uh, contest and it happened to be uh, in the Ag Engineering Building at the University of Georgia. That, at that time, that's where the state association staff were housed. And so I'm just kind of wandering the halls there. It kind of gave me an understanding. Hey, they're doing stuff with agriculture. They're doing stuff with science and math. And those are all things I liked. And so um, that kind of led me down the path, um, like Chase, to become an ag engineer. Um, so I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. The next year in, in 1988, I actually was at the national convention. That was my senior year. And I was at a career fair there. And um, there was a John Deere booth there. And I remember talking to the people at John Deere. And I still actually have the mug that they gave me. I use it to hold a bunch of pencils and things. But um, so that was kind of the spark uh, that got me interested in John Deere. You know, I was starting to understand how ag engineering and what it did and some of the opportunities within that. So that's kind of what started it. And then um, I actually graduated and uh, went off after college and looked for a job. And applied for John Deere and other places, but wound up getting hired by another company. And then uh, about four years later, a recruiter called and said, hey, there's a job opening in Augusta, Georgia with John Deere. Are you interested? And so I interviewed and uh, took the job as an engineer. And then I made my way through different um, different roles through the company over the last now almost, well, a little over 24 years um, and made my way to North Carolina in 2005. So um, like Chase, you know, it may be not a, not a straight path, but uh, I mean, it got me to where I wanted to be eventually uh, just by sticking to it and looking for opportunities. Yes, sir. And you talked about National Convention and at the Expo, you see all these booths. And I know I've been to the John Deere booths and a lot of other ones. And it's so exciting, you know, as a youth, as I was in high school and just seeing all these different opportunities in agriculture. And you kind of went through a pathway to get there in the same way for Mr. Chase. Um, so that's really awesome. So let's pretend that today is a day in your job. 
what does that look like? Either one of you can, can answer this, or if it's different for each of you, go ahead and just share that with us. Yeah, um, the thing I like about the job I'm in is it's not really the same every day. Um, we, we get involved with customers, and we talk with end users um, kind of in a research capacity, trying to understand what they're trying to do with our products. Um, and so we do a lot of qualitative and quantitative market research. Um, we spend a lot of time understanding customers' problems and trying to define them alongside of engineering teams and others in product development. So um, the, the pandemic's kind of put the kibosh on a lot of in-person meetings. So we do a lot of these things virtually, but uh, we're, so we're excited to, to get back out and, uh, and get back engaged with dealers and customers doing that work. But nonetheless, we've continued to do it. And um, it's, it's really, to me, it's an exciting job because it is different. It's something always learning, always something new, always something to learn from our customers and from dealers and others to be able to apply to our solutions as we make them better over time. So I heard you kind of touch on how COVID has impacted a lot of that in-person day-to-day things, but now, we just want to know a little bit about how has COVID changed your day in and day out routine at John Deere and how has it changed how the corporation as a whole operates and serves the community of agriculture? Yeah, I guess I can start here, John, and then kind of maybe toss it over for some last minute thoughts. Um, I don't think, I mean, we're certainly not immune to, to COVID just like you. I mean, the fact that we're on this this call virtually versus kind of doing it in person, um, uh, you know, is just kind of fact of the world that we're living in right now. And um, and so the majority of our work is done virtually. Uh, John mentioned just a, a few moments ago the fact that we would normally be out with customers. Now we're trying to pull virtual panels of customers together to, to get feedback versus kind of us being on their farm or on their property or on their job site. Uh, you know, talking with them, same same with dealers, um, and, and even our interaction with our teams. You know, so so much of what we do today is just is just making sure that our teams are are staying connected. You, you know, certainly working from home in I say quasi isolation. It's easy to get disconnected or to not feel connected or integrated as part of the team and. Um, I know certainly myself, I, I spend several hours a week um, in virtual face-to-face or on the phone with my team members, kind of making sure that, that we're up to speed on what they're doing, that they're, they're not overworking themselves, um, uh, which is easy to do now that you, you don't arrive at 8 or 8.30 in the morning and leave at 4.30 or 5. The, the computer's always a few steps away. And um, and so we, we want to make sure that there's this kind of healthy work-life balance um, and, and also that, that, that you're kind of making progress toward, toward the work that needs to be done. Um, so, so I think there's a, an intentional emphasis placed on that, Colton, to your question about how has COVID changed it. it it's very intentional that we're monitoring both work progress, but but more importantly, the the health, the mental health, physical health, kind of work life health of, of our employees as we we go through each and every day, and and certainly now that we're we're almost into a year, um, you know, our company has said we're likely not going to return until fall, maybe even 2022. So um, so this is going to go on for quite some time. 
John, any thoughts or additional commentary? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about the not being able to really meet with customers and we've found a way around that. Um, but if I think about our responsibilities as a FFA alumni uh, and supporters chapter, it, it's actually a little tougher because so much of what we do with FFA is face to face. We've still been able to do things like ag sales virtually and judge uh, extemporaneous and public speaking, those kinds of things and, and do things like this podcast, which is awesome, but it's, um, it's, it's the direct interaction with students at convention and career fair and judging in person, all those things that I think a lot of our members are craving. And I'm sure it's the same for FFA members as well. Yes, sir. You, you talked a lot about the career and leadership development events and how we've had to change our ways on that. It might be through a computer screen rather than in person. And another thing that is at the core of FFA is community service. And I know it's probably the same way over at John Deere. The means of serving your community has changed a lot. So what would you suggest or recommend to the listeners of this podcast on how they can serve in this virtual world in different means than what they had before? Yeah, I think this one um, can be really tough. you got to get creative. Um, maybe a, a good example is, um, you know, I have, I have two daughters, both are, both are in FFA, and my oldest wanted to do an essay, her first SAE last year. So we started a little garden here, and that was before the pandemic really took off. And um, she was, she actually put together a marketing plan and other things. She was going to sell some of the produce at a local farmer's market and just maybe through the neighborhood and things like that. Well, when the pandemic really took hold and everybody was really locked down in that kind of early spring, early spring to mid-summer time frame last year, she started thinking about, well, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to go out and sell this stuff, but at the same time, what can I do with it? And so she found a group of nurses and healthcare professionals that she could take the fruits and vegetables to that, that we had um, generated and that she had generated off of her garden. And so I thought that was a pretty good example of where if you just, if you're looking for ways to serve, there are ways to do it. Even if you can't necessarily be face to face with people or, you got to drop uh, some tomatoes off on somebody's porch or whatever that is. You can reach out and do those things. It just takes a little more creativity than it does in, in a normal year where we can be more face-to-face. Yeah, I think just to build on that, right? So, so food and community um, are kind of what bonds people to their, to their extended um, environment and it's certainly core to to FFA and and so I I would just say look if if it it's so different now but that doesn't mean it has it, it can't be overcome and John and I were talking about this just recently and it's like walk out your front door and look left and look right there there's there's places to serve on either side of you starting with your neighbors is, is there somebody elderly right that's a COVID high risk that maybe you can go to the grocery store and represent your blue jacket on behalf of FFA, right? Is there, um, is there somebody that needs help doing something right? Um, and, and even just your frontline workers making some cookies or putting together some care bags and carrying it to your local, um, you know, volunteer fire department, for, for example, anything that demonstrates, you know, your commitment to community um, and particularly around the agriculture or food side, 
um, certainly is core to to FFA at its roots and 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 even though it may not be the traditional volunteer opportunities that we've experienced or known from the past, um, it doesn't um, you know preempt us from being able to find new opportunities. And and I just say again, go out and look left and look right. There, there's somebody you can serve in close proximity. Those are all really great examples, and I think we can all kind of learn something from each one of those. But another way that we encourage service is through advocacy. And one of the simplest ways that we can advocate is through just a few click of the buttons on our devices. How do you all see technology shaping the way we as an industry advocate for agriculture? Wow, John. Um, you want to take this one or you want me to take a stab at it? Um, <laughs> you can start. I've got, I got a few comments, but you probably got a few things to say. As yeah, well. yeah. So, so social media advocacy is, is a powerful tool. Uh, it's also a very dangerous tool, right? And, and, and so, so you have to, the, the term advocacy by definition means kind of using something or advocating for something to pull people towards your cause. And, and I think we, we have to be very intentional about how we do that, the opportunity that we do that. Um, and I think pulling people toward the cause of agriculture and promoting agriculture, not only agriculture, but, but FFA in general and the, and the adjacencies of horticulture and, and, and animal production and all these other tangents that, that are now kind of tied to the FFA umbrella. There's a lot of people in the world that didn't grow up rural or they didn't gr grow up with any ties to any of that. And, and so you as as young adults and young professionals, right, it, it's it's going to be there's a lot of um, onus on, on you to figure out how to reach those people and advocate for agriculture in terms of how else are we going to feed the world? Right. Um, it, it is the responsibility of, of a few people in the world that grow production, row crop food to, to feed, what, 30 billion people or, or whatever the population of the world is. And, and, and I think it's important that we, we get that message out there so that so that agriculture is not frowned upon negatively. Um, but one click, to your point, Colton, can become ag advocacy or it can become detrimental. So, so I think you have to be very, very cautious in the way in which we do that. But by all means, we have to figure out how to reach and engage people that may have a, a negative view of agriculture for one, but more importantly, that have no perceptions of agriculture or FFA or even John Deere to that matter, right? They, they just don't grow up in that mindset of everything in the grocery store is, is grown or produced in some way. Um, and, and so I think advocacy in that regard of pulling people towards your cause um, and expanding the importance of agriculture and the people that do it uh, for the purposes of feed and clothing the world, I think is super important. Yeah, I, I think this is a very interesting topic because um, the the opportunity to communicate with virtually everybody in the world with just a simple tweet or an Instagram today is much different than certainly when I grew up and um, much different than 
you know, even, even my parents were able to, um, it reminds me of a story about Abraham Lincoln. He, um, he used to write what he called hot letters. So if he was angry at somebody, he would write a letter and he would not sign it, but he would put it in his desk for a few days and he would come back and he would reread it. And it was, I forget what the number is, but almost 90% or so he never, he never mailed after that or he significantly changed them. Right. And so I think it's real easy. Um, even if you think you're advocating maybe for something to, uh, send off a hot letter, if you will, through social media, but you know, it's, it's instantly going to go out to literally the whole world. Um, and you can't get it back necessarily easily either, or if at all. So I think, um, Chase is right on, which is, you know, be thoughtful, be intentional. Think about different perspectives maybe that people have before you respond to something or, or put out something that uh, could be controversial. Um, and I think that that would go a long way. As a, a little twist on the golden rule I saw the other day, somebody on uh, Zoom had it in their background. Uh, so the golden rule is essentially treat others as you would have them treat you and, and their their um, little sign said tweet others as you would have them tweet you. So I think that was good advice. Yes, sir. I know back in July or August, we were going through State Officer Summit. And I remember one of the sections that we were talking about, one of the topics that was really heavy was social media and how it can be a two-edged sword. You can either use it in positive manners and advocate for agriculture, not not hindering people or, or slamming them for their beliefs on agriculture, but just spreading facts and truth about our industry. Because like Mr. Chase and Mr. John, you touched on it as well. There are people out there who just, they don't know about agriculture and they don't understand what we do and what our industry is about. And so just a simple tweet, maybe explaining, you know, where does an egg come from or that loaf of bread that I'm about to use for my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, what, where, where does that really come from? And I think um, as young agriculturalists, we look to people like you, Mr. John and Mr. Chase, and we see you in these jobs that at John Deere and we have other leaders we look to in BASF and Cardville and Bayer. And I know for myself, I, I look at your positions and I'm like, that, that would be a dream one day to be able to advocate for our industry to a position like that. So what would be your piece of advice to the aspiring agriculturalist wearing SFA jackets? What would be your advice to them who want to have jobs like you one day? John, you want to start? Yeah. Um, I would say first and foremost, um, doesn't matter what age you are, where, you know, where you started in your life, what era you grew up in. There's really no substitute for hard work. There's really no shortcuts. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, people talk about life hacks and how you can get around certain things. But I think if you're really going to have a successful career at any of, any of these companies, you mentioned John Deere, Cargill, Bayer and others, um, you're going to have to put in some work, both in terms of your education. Um, you're going to have to put in some work in terms of probably looking for that career. Um, you know, Chase and I both gave our stories. It wasn't a, a straight path to John Deere for us. We didn't you know, grow up, um, we may grow up dreaming about a job like John Deere, but we didn't grow up with the path, in, you know, in mind. And so we had to adapt and move forward and look for those opportunities. And I guess, you know, just never give up. That's, it's, it's always going to take work and effort. And if that's your dream and you want a job and a career like that, um, adapt and move forward and just keep, keep working on that dream and keep moving forward. 
Yeah, I think just to build on what John talked about there, I think the key word was just being adaptable. And that that's so true in, in, uh, in the world in which we live in today. And COVID has, has just kind of reinforced that. Those that are adaptable tend to thrive and, and make the best of the situation and those that don't struggle. And so I think as, as, as many of you, you know, get into your, your college career or, you know, as they're finishing up high school, trying to figure out what they want to do or finishing up college, figuring out what they want to do. I think it's important to be true to yourself. Don't, don't follow what other people may try to want to lead you down a path. I think it's important to, to have a passion. Um, if you're entrepreneurial and you grew up in a small business, the, the transition to corporate America is going to be tough, right? Just because you don't think like corporate America does, right? Um, and, and I think there's so many jobs. Yeah, there's the Bears and the BASFs and the Syngentas and, and the Case IH and the John Deere's. There's a lot of Fortune 500 companies that are directly tied, and, and they're all great companies. And, and John Deere has certainly served John and I both very well. Um, throughout our career so far but there's also a lot of local seed and fertilizer and sprayers and and John Deere dealers and all the people at the local rural areas that that make a living um, that 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 are tied to farming but they're not farmers and and I think those are absolutely great career paths as well Uh, and and so everything doesn't have to be fortune 500 um, but if that's something you, you want to pursue, you, you got to get that good education and, and you got to be proactive in the career fairs and the expos and you got to, you have to be intentional about your networking opportunities when they present themselves. And, and, and so it's, um, and just staying adaptable, uh, you know, so, so much of what John and I have looking back at, you know, 20, how many years, John, almost 25. Yeah, I'm getting close to 25 now. It's hard to believe. Yeah, I know. And, and I'm 23, right? And, and, and I can tell you, if you ask us independently, I mean, we talk about this all the time, the, the majority of what's shaped us today is just our diversity of experiences and taking things outside of our comfort zone that have challenged us in new and different ways that have forced us to grow personally, professionally develop new skill sets that we wouldn't have otherwise done. And, and so I would say always be adaptable to try something different, even if you don't think it's um, maybe something that you like or have a passion for. A lot of times it, it, it can ignite that spark that that is your career to come that you have no idea about today. Worst case scenario is you try it, you don't like it, and you fall back to something else, right? <clears throat> Yes, sir. I think the three three things I took away from that is hard work, flexibility, and passion. And I think those are three things, like you said, no matter if it's John Deere or if it's a local seed company, just investing in where you're at and taking all the opportunities that come to you. And it's that diversification of your experience that have led you both to your careers and hopefully Colton and I and those who are listening. So thank you. Mr. Chase and Mr. John, thank you for joining us here on the North Carolina FFA Association podcast. 
I'm glad we were able to dig deeper into your world as an agriculturalist and learn a little bit more behind what John Deere stands for and how they support the future of the agricultural industry. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for uh, thank you for doing this and uh, for inviting us on. Yeah, we appreciate it. We miss all the person-to-person interactions as we discussed, all the convention activities, the CDEs, the Gator Wars, and all that. So hopefully we can get back to a little bit normal real soon. But in the meantime, we appreciate the opportunity to engage with you and, and the North Carolina FFA members virtually. Yes, sir. And thank you all for your support and John Deere's support to North Carolina FFA. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the North Carolina FFA Association podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NCFFA and on Facebook at the North Carolina FFA Association.